This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Mr. Shane Told. Yes, I am a mister. I don't know why I had to say that, but yes, Shane Told is here. That's me. This is my podcast. It's called Lead Singer Syndrome, and I speak to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional rock and roll band. Today we have a true rocker, Mr. Luke Bentham of the Dirty Nil, one of, can I say one of my favorite bands? Is that, is that okay to say? Because it's absolutely true. Their last record, their debut record, Higher Power, was one of my favorite albums of 2016. I turned a lot of people on to this record. I turned a lot of people on to this band. And guess what? They won a Juno, which is basically like a Canadian Grammy, for Best New Artist, which is pretty crazy. We talk all about the shock of that and much, much more. This is a great conversation. Luke leaves absolutely nothing out. He explains it all. It's a good one. Sit back, relax, enjoy. But make sure you go check out the brand new the Dirty Nil record, which just came out on Friday. It's called Master Volume. Great title, a great album, full of bangers, and we talk all about the record. Definitely make sure you check it out, and of course, I will be playing some music at the end of the show, like always. If it's your first time joining me on my journey here, my podcast journey, I'm up to 140 I think like six episodes now, almost at the three-year mark. It's crazy. I've been doing this for so long, but welcome. I always let everyone know you can always get in touch with me. I read all my email. I try to respond 
to as much of it as I can. Leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com is the email address. I'm also on all the different types of social media, so follow me on there. Hit me up on there if you want to. We're on Facebook. We have three delightful people that run the Facebook page for me because I just, I don't know. I can't figure out Facebook. There's it's a clusterfuck, you know? There's a lot of shit going on. I don't really know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm just too old. I feel like old people use Facebook, though. That's like their one that they use. So, I don't know. I like Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I like those. Follow me on those. But definitely check out our Facebook because there is a lot of stuff on there as well. If you like the show, write a review on iTunes and make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. Last week was a great episode with... I was calling him a jokester, Mr. Zach Wild of Ozzy, of Black Label Society, of his own stuff. I was surprised a little bit uh, how, you know, happy-go-lucky, um, not serious he was. Because, you know, you see that picture of him, and he's got that long Thor-looking hair and that big beard, and he's holding this metal guitar, and he looks all serious. Well... He was a very, very funny and enjoyable guy to talk to. And I think I get to see Ozzy, after all, this Wednesday in Detroit. I will be at the show. Very excited about that as well. So, yes, go back, listen to that if you haven't already. And there's also like 144 other episodes to check out as well. In other news with me, what's new with me? Well, besides moving into a new house, that's exciting, right? Uh, Other than that, my band Silverstein... We are going on tour in Europe with Anti-Flag, some very good friends of ours. It's going to be an awesome co-headline tour, lots of Germany uh, and other places in the mainland. Get tickets for that. They're available now. And after that, we're doing a U.S. and Canadian tour. Well, sort of Canadian. We're playing Toronto, Montreal, and London. So I know Canadians get a little bent out of shape when I say it's a Canadian tour and it's like three shows. But we are coming to Canada as well as the U.S., on a headliner celebrating 15 years of our first album when broken is easily fixed we will be playing the whole thing and more tickets are really selling they're going fast but they're still available and to check them out and check out VIP and all that good stuff it is when broken the link is I should say when broken is easily fixed dot com I want to give a big shout out to all my sinners Worldwide, you know who you are. These are the members of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. That's right. We got a club. We got a club, baby. It is a great community. We hang out all over the world. All these things happen. Center meetups all over the place. It's awesome. You got to check it out if you want to meet like-minded people that are a fan of this show, that are a fan of great music. It really is very, very, very cool. And of course... You get access to bonus episodes, more interaction with me, merch and patches sent to your house every three months. It is really just a good time. And of course, it is the reason this show continues. It is what keeps this thing possible to be going and growing week after week with great guests like Luke Bentham, like Zach Wilde. Like Jonathan Davis, like Anthony Green, like Caleb Shomo, like Spencer Chamberlain, like Fat Mike, like Joey Cape, like ah, so many guests, I'm forgetting them. 
140-something guests, all brought to you in part by the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. So yes, check it out for as little as $6 a month. That's what gets you in, and it really does go a long way. The link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. That's right, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Check it out. Let's be friends. Let's hang out. Centerfest 2.0's got to be happening somewhere. California maybe this year. I don't know. We're figuring it out. Check out the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. All right, that's enough. Let's get into this very great conversation with one of Canada's finest rock and roll bands, Canada's finest punk bands. I don't know what they are. They're a great band. You need to know them. So check this out. Here it is, my conversation with Luke of the Dirty Nell. Yo, how's it going, Shane? Great, man. How are you? It's been a long time. I'm very well. I'm, uh, I'm in Hamilton. A crazy, crazy thunderstorm has just begun. Oh, seriously? Wow. I'm yeah, in Win- be- I'm in Windsor, and it is like a sunny, sunny fucking day here. So I don't know. It it was like a Florida type humidity situation happening. Total blue skies, and now it's like post apocalypse. Crazy. <laughs> That's yeah. It's it happens, man. Yeah, just the other day, I, I'm I'm out here in Windsor these days. Uh, lucky me, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was like I went into a shopper's drug mart, and it was like fine, like you know, sunny, and was just shopping around. You know, they got some good deals. Shoppers Drug Mart got I mean, some good deals, man. They got you, a monopoly. You get the sales? No, they got the sales, man. Like you go and get- and you get stuff on sale. I got that. Uh, that I don't know if you say Nor or Knorr. They make the soup oh. I really like. 99 cents. Oh, yeah. 99 cents. Oh, yeah. So, 99 Can't beat it. So can't I'm in the soup it. aisle, and uh, uh, I'm hearing, like, I heard this crash, and I'm like, what the? That sounds like thunder, but it can't be thunder. It was thunder. I went outside. It was, Mother- like, it was like dark out. It was crazy. It's that kind of period right now in, in, the, in the weather where it's like when things get so hot, the entire weather system – I mean – being not a meteorologist, I, I uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking speaking from the heart, but not from the from from knowledge. I feel like it just gets so goddamn hot that the whole thing's just like, all right, we just got to reset this motherfucker. That's kind of what the Earth is doing. But anyways, those that's, are the, ama- that's, amateur amateur weather theories from Luke. That sounds no, that sounds pretty good. And wouldn't you know? Holy shit! I just looked outside and it is raining. There's, there water, you go. there's water on the window, so there it, it go. just it just got over here to Windsor. Anyways, hey, yeah. let's uh, uh, meteorology aside. I'm here with Luke of the Dirty Nil, an old buddy of mine, uh, dude. I haven't seen you in a while, and so much has happened since we last spoke. New record know, coming eh? out in very soon, like a week. very soon September 14th. September yes. 14th, master volume, great title. Uh, Thank you. Let's start there, man. Tell me about this. This journey over the last couple of years since I've seen you and uh, how it's been with uh, getting leading up to this record. Sure. Well, um, I mean, I, get, I guess when when we were last hanging out, uh, at least in a kind of uh, 
consistent sense was the warp tour of 2015 oh, wow. and we were kind of yeah and so we were basically just kind of getting uh we were in the middle of making higher power then kind of getting mixes and stuff and it was going to come out in the beginning of 2016 so we we hadn't even put out a full-length record yet um so basically since the record came out in February or January 2016, we've just basically been doing, I mean, we did a little bit of headlining tour, headline touring across Canada and the States and England and Germany, but we've done about two years, I would say, of or a year and a half of support tours, um, which has brought us all over and we've, we've met a lot of people. Um, sure. Uh, but we've we've been able to do some really big ones in in uh, Canada and Europe uh, with Billy Talent yeah. and uh, America or, uh, uh, against me brought us all around the United States and Canada, which was amazing last fall. Um, and then, but basically, I mean, since uh, we we had a we had a lineup change um, in the fall of about about two years ago now, coming up on two years ago. Wow, it's crazy. We, it's been that long. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, I mean, we hadn't really when uh, Dave had been in the band for uh, over five years, and we had uh, we had played a lot together and done a lot of touring. But um, I mean, I think you kind of get to a point. A lot of bands, at least when I talk to you, in, in your mid to late twenties, where people kind of it's it's kind of the time where a lot of people's life circumstances become more demanding or they kind of decide what they want to do more. So, I mean, the, the pressure kind of only increases, right. To, to bring yeah. on the bacon, the older you get. So that's right. Um, and, and whether you actually, I guess, ultimately enjoy touring, right. Whether you actually, whether you, whether you are, cause everybody gets the blues sometimes on tours, <laughs> but it's, it's not, it's, 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 uh, it's whether you enjoy and feel fulfilled with that lifestyle. And, you know, he, uh, you know, he, he made a decision. He, 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 uh, he wanted to kind of look for other things in life, which I totally understand and respect. So we, we had a very, uh, very kind of respectful, see you later kind of handshake. And then uh, Mr. Ross Miller, uh, our mutual friend who we had kind of played shows with since we were about 20, um, he joined the band. So he, he was actually living in a house with us, with Kyle and I at the oh, time. Wow, that's perfect. And we're... Yeah, so we were auditioning bass players. We had some guys from the states come up, and guys who we had kind of seen all along the way who were like, "Dig his style. He's cool." Um, but you know, you know how it is. Like when you're when you're searching for somebody to be creative with, it's not it's not really how it looks on paper. It's like you don't know until you get in a room and see if you can work together, whether your chemistry works. Yeah. So. Ross was the first, and I mean, we, we had, as I said, done a few auditions, but we, d we did one practice with Ross, and this kind of song that, that had been kind of tormenting us, the arrangement hadn't been coming together. We did we did one jam with Ross, and it he had some great suggestions that came all together, and there was that was basically it. So uh, we we Ross joined at the beginning of 2017. And then we we basically from that moment forward just wrote and practiced every single day um, until 
for for one year. So we, we did a year <laughs> basically of constant touring all together for, as as the, as as the beginning of that lineup and uh, writing and rehearsing every single day. Basically, we took a few weeks off in August, but the record was written on the road, and it was the mo it was the fastest that I've ever written in wow. terms of like. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it was definitely, you know, it was a bit of a do or die time because it had been a while since we had put out uh, Higher Power. But I mean, we hadn't had any new songs that had joined the set since the beginning of 2015. So it just it had been we needed we needed a new an influx of new material and, and new energy. So definitely. I mean, last year was definitely the hardest that we have ever worked uh Bar none, I would say we worked harder last year than the previous three years combined. It was uh, it was just it was constant uh, um, practicing and demoing with something we never did really before, um, and just really really working hard with a with a focus of making a really kick ass album awesome. and kind of and learning some of the, some of the mistakes some of the, I won't say mistakes but learning some lessons in the studio making higher power about when to uh, listen to a producer and yada, 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 <laughs> when not to be uh, an asshole. So anyways, totally, we, uh, totally. we, we formed the all of last year around gearing up to make this album. And then we made it at the beginning of this year with uh, mm-hmm. Mr. John Goodmanson from Seattle, mm-hmm. who's uh, 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 a very accomplished producer and mixing engineer, yes, yes, uh, amongst is. other things, but also a fantastic human being. Um, I mean, he's worked with, uh, like Blood Brothers and uh, yeah. Ceremony and yeah. Death Cab for Cutie and Sleater Kinney and he lives next door to the Pearl Jam guys. So he had like great stories really? for days. I mean, wow. all we cool. wanted to know was all of his new metal stories. Though we really wanted to hear about <laughs> working with Saliva and Corn and stuff. Those were the ones we wanted to hear. But um, so I mean, we just we did it in three weeks. We were we we're very very uh, ready to make the record. I mean, there's there's a few nice things that kind of came together in the studio. It, we were too tight, um, uh, or at least too over rehearsed or anything like that. But we right. were we had we had, we had really very prepared and very very yes. confident, ready to make the record. That's good, man. Wow, so much there, so much there to ask you about. Uh, and I don't even know where to start, but I, I, I guess we'll start with the with the departure of Dave, uh, and we'll yes. get that out of the out of the way because. You know, the Dirty Nil obviously is a three-piece band, and mm-hmm. I feel like in a three-piece band, there's always a little bit more weight carried per member. You know, of I'm course. in a five-piece band, and you know, it's like a couple people can be working on something, and then you know, the other guys can kind of be shooting the shit over here, and not everybody has to be involved in every like little decision. But no. but with with I guess the, when you have a three-piece band, it's like there's always one guy that's kind of like the gonna side with one side or the other do you know what i mean yeah like the yeah the, the uh uh I, I guess the swing vote you know so yeah exactly so, so with dave you know being out of the band and, and enter ross uh you know not only is that a big change just personally and and decision wise and stuff but dave was also uh, you know a fairly important member of the band in that he did do some lead vocals there were some Most dave Nardi songs that you know would kind of come out and it was a different sort of tone for you guys mm-hmm. it, would, it would be like a different switch live you'd kind of get a yes. little bit of a break so how's that yeah. adjusting because I, I don't i believe the new album is all you right 
It is. Now, I mean, I, I really enjoyed like just getting to play guitar. Like that was, that's something that I, I, I really enjoyed getting to do, just like getting to focus on, because I love playing guitar the most. Um, um, so I really enjoyed those. And Dave is also he one of the coolest writers. Like he has some great, great, uh, I always loved his more kind of vulnerable side as a writer. So I really enjoyed playing those songs. But I mean, when we kind of, one of the things that was a, a point of pressure on the band that was increasing, that was just another, one of, one of the reasons, obviously, that go into a, a lineup change. But one of them was that as we began to start playing in front of bigger audiences and bigger crowds, um, reconciling the differences in, in our two sound started to become a bit of an issue and a bit of a, a point of contention about what kind of band we wanted to be, you yeah. know, because some people who knew the kind of, who knew Fugazi and knew Minor Threat or whatever, knew like some of the touchstones that we were going for and like liked hardcore, but also liked Weezer, um, could 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 get behind and really saw that as kind of a, a special feature of the band that we yeah. could have that kind of flexibility. But I would say that a lot of people didn't see that. A lot of people, I would say, we when we would tour, the last few months of touring, we received a lot of, like, I mean, people just give you your feedback, give you their feedback, whether you wanted to hear or not. And uh, there was a lot of people that, you know, just told us uh, their honest opinion. And we could tell that some people were kind of being confused by that kind of split-headed uh, presentation. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was, that was just one of the things also going into, going into, uh, what the, the ultimate like parting of the ways. But I mean, that led to us like really having to, I mean, at some point in a band's trajectory, they got to sit down and figure some things out. They got to figure <laughs> out what are we going to do? Like we can, you can't just sit there and we're going to be a band and we're just going to go up there and we're going to play our songs. and It's going to be nothing. You got to figure out how you want to present yourselves. Cause that's part of the art, right? How, how you want to, um, how you want to structure your set, how you want to do your merch. All of these things are decisions and extensions of your creativity. So right. you kind of have to just like sit down and figure those things out. And what are your goals, right? And how are you going to work towards those goals? I think that when we were in our early 20s uh, and like 19 and stuff, like our goal was to just basically play shows. We had very, we didn't really have anybody that we were looking up to yep. or any kind of like, t t like uh, tangible steps on how to achieve things like we're just like we want to do a club tour and for people to show up like i don't know like we didn't have fucking goals because we were just from dundas well you didn't know yet no i mean you haven't we had, didn't know right have, there's a lot of trial and error that goes into being a, a lot of trial and error and a lot of like you don't know what you want until you kind of start seeing other people and what totally. they have and you're like okay well that's a cool thing that would be cool if one day we had a version of that for right. ourselves right so one of the things was like i mean we had done some you came out and saw us actually we did that flag tour yeah. So we opened for yeah. like uh, the the, black the flag. basically yeah. black flag, yes, or the they're not allowed to call themselves that because Greg Ginn is uh, contractually owns the name. But for all intents and purposes, yes. we got to play with Black Flag, which is obviously a wonderful uh, notch on the old belt for anybody who grew up on that kind of music like us. So right. um, that was fantastic, and uh, that kind of uh, split side 
thing where Dave could dr- like I could give them right, the, it worked in that the, environment yeah yeah so I could give him some sugar and then Dave could drop the <laughs> hammer like that could, that that worked there but then when we were playing with like Billy Talent yeah. or I saw you people, guys there too actually yeah so I would say you know I and I don't mean this in any kind of disparaging way but any like people who are less musically literate or less musically pretentious not even pretentious but like less you know people who are more your average music fan who don't go to that many shows and they just come to a big show a few times a year and they come to see the thing that that aspect of the band was kind of confusing people and it wasn't like it wasn't like we want to play to the gallery and like we want to just like okay well, what's going to make people happy let's just do that that's not our mentality but as i said it's all just little pieces of pressure that kind of yeah. put themselves on your on your organization no it's it's so, hard it's hard to think of a band that has that you know that's achieved you know a lot of success the one the one that comes to mind is maybe the goo goo dolls their bass player mm-hmm. sings sings a bunch of the songs like if you've ever heard any of their records it's like kind of yeah. weird uh and the other one that that i remember is propagandi uh you know yes. when when um john samson used to be in the band from the weaker thens and they had yes. so you know let's talk more rock by propagandi is like 28 it's a 14 song like 25 minute record and it's bangers. And then there's two pretty much two weaker than songs on the record, which are like yes. really out of left field to where you're like, yes. Okay. And it's Interesting. like, you had to know that, 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 that guy wasn't going to stick around like that. That mm-hmm. was his passion that he wanted to do that. So yes. I kind of understand it, you know, and for you guys, it's the opposite is, you know, you were, like you said, sugar versus hammer. Uh, which I love, but so, yeah, so I totally understand that the change, um, but you know, I, I honest, I think it's always, obviously a big deal when a three piece band changes a member more so than a bass player, maybe in a five piece band. Maybe that's not, I, maybe that's not accurate, but I, I feel like I it think, is. I think that, I mean, you know, I can only speak for, for, from from my experience. And I would just say that if I, I, in my fantasy scenario, I would feel a lot more comfortable in like a Guns N' Roses type deal if I had to switch out like one of the five guys <laughs> rather than like if you have to switch. A three piece is tricky, right? To make yeah. everything work. And like, as you said, like if the less members, the more responsibility per member, right? Mm-hmm. Even like down to like the mechanics of, of the sound. Like if, if somebody's instrument cuts out, it's that much more noticeable right. if there's not a rhythm guitar or right. whatever. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, so there's just more weight per member, and obviously in a creative sense too, like it makes the chemistry that much more touchy because every single person is obviously important to the way things get arranged and the way you sit down and do the nuts and bolts and and like and and get together and uh, and communicate with one another. You know, like to be able to get along and communicate yeah. effectively and to make decisions together and to agree on a direction and to feel comfortable with that direction and you know all of the interworking politics are far more delicate and like unknowable until the rubber actually meets the road right like you just don't know yeah. these, the way these things are going to go until they unfold so that was one you know that was that was a stressful point of like obviously having that vacuum of like okay well I mean, we need to find somebody who we can get along with and who we can get all this stuff done with. And so that that uh, uh, 
uh, became clear about how complicated that task was when we started auditioning people, practicing with people, and we found that it's like, yeah, they can play the bass lines fine. Like, they're not right. necessarily that complicated at all but like it's can they you know contribute creatively which is a very important feature obviously when yeah. you when you're when you're there's only three people in your band and then you got to arrange things together but also can they hold their hold their own their side of the stage and be able to not just be a wallflower if there's only three of you right like you yeah. can't just have yeah, it makes so much uh, sense. Uh, you know a guy who's just playing it on the, their side was only three of you and when you're playing in a you know, bombastic rock and roll band so I mean when rocks joined and uh, I mean a lot of these things a lot of the elements of this kind of chemistry and these uh, like we kind of grew into and, and adjusted around each other and adapted uh, to, to our new group of people but the one thing that we knew is that like right off the bat is like we were hanging out every day all together practicing every day and we were very aware of the fact that you know um it, it, it is do or die for us right now we've got to hit the ground running and basically in terms of uh in terms of having a you know your own little small business it's us versus the world basically yeah. we're the best friends we each other have we need to basically just support each other as hard as we can and just like work with each other and totally, and man. uh because if uh, our all futures depend on our ability to work together and i Absolutely. mean we saw it in yeah. those kind of black and white t- terms and uh and we i'm i'm very happy to say that we have risen to the occasion and delivered uh there we go. Yes. a fantastic rock and roll album Here september 14th september 14th Available there's another plug fine records are sold there you go where are they even sold anywhere Full of them. i was somebody when our last yeah, record came I, out uh, and sorry about the audio, right? The audio was getting a little wonky for you. I don't know if you're in a weird place, but uh, my apologies. I, we could hear what you're saying, which is a little gerbil. Oh, good. Uh, gerbiled, jumbled. Uh, so yeah, no, it's it's jumbled, funny because yeah. in Canada now, you know, our record came out last year, and somebody was like, "Hey, like, uh, I'm in Vancouver. Where can I uh, pick up your album?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I have no fucking idea. Where do you go to buy a, a record no anymore?" Idea. Yeah. And I guess Sunrise Records is that's the one now. That's their. They took over HMV and that's the place. That's it. I mean, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, that's there's the one. There's one physical. There's copies, one now. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. So it's I gotten, mean, I mean, there's, there's still- indie shops and stuff. I don't want to don't want to pretend yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah, yeah. what that is. And, and that's obviously important. Uh, so course. many re- great record stores in Toronto, Hamilton, everywhere. But chain record stores in small town. Ooh, it's it's few and far that's between. It. That's a tough one. Best of luck to you. Best of luck to you. Best of luck to you. It will be available on streaming services as well. Hey, man, I, I want to go back a little bit, and I want to talk about your early life. And I think it's interesting because we grew up, uh, you know, I'm a bit older than you, but we grew up in um, similar areas. I'm from Oakville, yes. Ontario. You're from Dundas, Ontario, which is maybe a 30 to 40 minute drive, I'd say. Yes. Something yes. like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm really curious about what it was like for you growing up, what your family structure was like, and uh, kind of how music was, you know, in your er- the early days. Sure. Well, I, I, uh, I mean, my, uh, my parents were, were extremely I, – I got my first guitar when I was 12. I guess I should say that. I, I got my first guitar when I was 12 shortly before that. What kind of guitar uh, was it? It was a Squire Stratocaster Perfect. Strat Pack with the amp and the strap yeah, and the whammy it comes bar. Comes in a box. 
The whole comes in a box. <laughs> you exactly. know it's good. <laughs> you, usually, usually gets sold at a garage sale in a box too. But uh, <laughs> mine has not been. But um, I remember one of the first most kind of important musical moments that I ever had was uh, being. Uh, I th- I was twelve years old, and uh, September or so of two thousand two, and. Uh, Nirvana was just releasing their box set, like their not the box set, rather their their greatest hits. And I was watching Much on Demand for those who uh, it was in the morning before school for those who remember Much Music. And uh, all these people kept voting for uh, for uh, the video for You Know You're Right by Nirvana, and I had not, I I had never heard Nirvana before. And the video for You Know You're Right, if you're not familiar with it, it's a montage of like yeah. live Nirvana footage and. It's kind of like a really, really like souped up sounding demo of that song, yes. but it's so yes. raw and so crazy. I remember hearing that, like I had never heard anything like that on TV and TV was really my only access to music other than like listening to what my parents' friends were listening to because I mean, or whatever. So yeah. I remember that song came on the TV and my parents were eating breakfast and they kind of recoiled in like disgust at the sound of Kurt Cobain's voice and like <laughs> the kind of feedback in the song. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And like, they, I just noticed this like physical, like, as I said, uh, discomfort that they were experiencing from a song. And I'm like, cool i've never <laughs> seen adults affected by a song before love it so yeah so then i so that was obviously uh dope that was great and i was like and then i really got into nirvana really hard after that and got that cd uh, from hmv uh and uh and then my my uh my godfather had heard that i wanted to play bass and i, I saw bass as my entry point into getting a guitar one day and then he basically for my birthday he got me one of those $300 strat packs and said uh fuck bass you're gonna play guitar and he gave me a <laughs> gave me a guitar and uh, I played Mission Impossible with my thumb for a year, and then um, <laughs> what does that even mean? Exactly. I I kind of just picked out simple melodies with my ear, and then like try to play with my thumb. And then my first guitar teacher, who is still my guitar teacher to this day, has been he's been my guitar teacher now for let me think here 16 years now cool. that's cool uh mr mike treblecock which is a fantastic name for a guitar player treblecock he, treblecock yeah so he was the singer guitar player uh songwriter of the killjoys oh yeah uh, yeah man i love the killjoys today I yeah. everyone exactly oh. so oh, he taught me how to play guitar um cool. starting at age 12 and up till now so um, and beyond. But, um, so that was kind of really how I got into these. My parents were super supportive of the thing because I mean, before then I was like sitting in my, uh, sitting in my bedroom building like model airplanes, just like shut off from the world. They're like, I'm glad to see he's out doing something. So, uh, <laughs> they, they were, they were pumped to drive me guitar lessons. And, uh, um, yeah, I'd say in terms of like the music that I grew up on as a kid, my mom, uh, listen to shit music though she saw a lot of great shows that she kind of eventually became she kind of came around to like liking again but like she from the get-goes like women in songs and enya and shit and i was like this is awful (laughs) and then my dad listened to like harsh as fuck country music that i loved like 
John Prine, Sweet Revenge was an album always around. And uh, Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, okay. Stompin', okay. Stompin' Tom Connors. Uh, there you go. Can- Canadian legend. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Cash Live at Folsom was always on. Uh, so that kind of stuff was really, really. And then, like, the Guess Who. A lot of Can, a lot of yeah. can Con. Yeah. But <laughs> mostly, mostly, like, re- like country songs about murder. That was, uh, I grew up on a lot of that. And then my mom, once that once I started really getting into music, she kind of, she kind of went back and reverted to the music that she listened to when she was a kid. And like, she saw Bowie back in the, like back in the seventies and Zeppelin when she was a teenager and stuff. So she got back into that stuff. And then I, I mean, she's, she's always asking me for new bands and stuff. So I still show her like all the bands that we play with. And she's, so I'm really fortunate to get to still enjoy like music with my mom. Well, it sounds like your parents are very open-minded and supportive, which is great. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Very much so. I got two younger sisters. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, neither that, I mean, do they shred as hard as you? They, they were forced at bayonet point to try and play piano. But, (laughs) Uh, after after years of tears, the piano was sold, and they were freed from their shackles and allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. I was the only one that voluntarily wanted to play music. Oh, um, that's very so, funny. So, so we got we got Nirvana, and yes. you know one of the things that I love so much about your band is just it's it's got a lot of there's a lot of things going on, and it's hard to when I because I when higher power came out it's a record that i really championed and a lot of the guys in my band like you know like paul mark and stuff we would go over and watch you guys play on the ernie ball stage on warp tour and you know we, we really like really loved your band love your band and and I, the amount of people that i was like you gotta check out this record and then people would ask me what it sounds like and i'd be like well it's like uh uh and i never knew what to say I'm like, it's loud, it's like kind of punk rock, but then it's like sort of got like a classic rock kind of element. And then I'm like, then I'm like, I have to mention the aesthetic of your band, which is like, mm-hmm. it's a Les Paul plugged in a Marshall. And he's got like the Jimi Hendrix style, you know, coiled, like curly coiled patch cord. And, you know, he's like chewing gum and he's smiling at the, at the girls in the crowd. And he's got stars on his shirt. And like, this is all important part of your band is your aesthetic and you're like not afraid to say fuck you and and you know and use whatever language you need to express what you're expressing so all of these factors come in and i'm just saying okay nirvana but then what else what else latched on to make this band that is so unique well, thank you. I, that, that is a high compliment to be able to evade simple description. I think that yeah, absolutely, man, totally. I I think that one of the one of the primary influences on our band, at least, kind of what starting around when we were about twenty or twenty one. Um, by the way, we're twenty eight now. So, like when we were like, this is kind of around when we did fucking up young and kind of like around in that area and started to advance further is. We really got into, or at least I did, the MC5 and that kind of like really bombastic, like it's kind of like at the drive-in, but like more proto version of that, more more like, more, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like it was central to my ideas and like about aesthetic was, was, was a very loud imagery and not afraid to, to present something 
bold mm-hmm. uh, because it's more. It just made it more fun for me to like kind of put like this. I mean, the star shirt thing was an it was a strange thing that just kind of started by like most things, just like by accident. We were on tour in uh, in Montreal on one of our first t- tours ever in 2011, and um, we were in one of those stores where everything is ten dollars, and one of my friends pulled that off the rack. And it was, you know, $10, the first star shirt. It's the one that I wear in the fucking up young video. I still have it, but it was $10. It's like, if, if this is the dumbest shirt I've ever seen, if you wear this, I will buy it for you. I'm like, fuck yeah. So I wore it <laughs> and I didn't take it off for two weeks. And we were like sleeping in the van and like, <laughs> like all yeah. this, I didn't take it off. And people started commenting nonstop on this shirt. And I was just like, uh, I almost got in a fight about it. Like this guy was like trying to like, he was like, Fucking guy wearing a fucking shower curtain, like I don't know, like this guy on some sort of weird crusade. But anyways, um, it just kind of started, and I realized that like this is kind of a thing a little bit, and it kind of was sitting in the back of my mind. And then I'm like, okay, I really need to get a second one, and I couldn't find the brand. And then my more hip clothing buddies were like, "Yo, check this one out!" Like would send it to me over Facebook, like this like Levi's one. So then that was the one that I wore for like three years. I bought three of them when they came out and then like, I just kind of linked onto them and then I ran out of kind of off the rack ones. And then I basically found this lady named Wendy who lives in Guelph. Who's got a company called Canary Naturals. And she okay. had, I got her number through the guys from the Sadie's cause she had made their suits and some stuff for Gord Downey and some stuff oh, yeah. for Joel Plaskett and a bunch of guys. Like uh, all the – anytime you see some really crazy embroidered shirts in the Canadian music industry, she's <laughs> probably made it because it's go. such a specific skill set. But uh, anyways, we got in contact and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a perfect um, kind of uh, – uh, meeting of people because I, I was desperate for another shirt and uh, she obviously has a, a, a unique skill set that not many people have so we've had a great relationship since then she's made me three or four shirts and um, it's super fun kind of getting together and being like okay what if we did this so we kind of just sit there and kind of collaborate on some stupid insane shirt that like most people when i tell them i'm like this is what i'm gonna make as a shirt they're like that's the dumbest thing <laughs> i've ever heard and then they see the shirt and they're like all right it's pretty cool it's pretty cool like i wouldn't wear it but good for you uh so i, I enjoy kind of getting it getting to have some sort of like almost comic book like superhero like element of uh that I I just kind of I saw as I said in the in the in the Bowie stuff and the yeah. and, and the MC5 stuff from Detroit in the late 60s that kind of um I mean cuz we just you know we toured so much with I want I think that visual presentation is one of the most important and uh best tools to utilize as as a performer obviously it's like it's your primary thing that you're kind of getting across other than the sound. So I think that when people do interesting combinations of, of things, it, it makes it more engaging, but it, it was definitely a very natural evolution. But We stole a lot of moves from the MC five. It just kind of looks a lot more domineering and aggressive when you've got giant oversized cabinets and curly cords going right. back to them. There you so go. Curly cords. That yeah. was a, 
that's uh that was, and we used curly cords since we were teenagers so we just always enjoyed that yeah it's it's a something that nobody does anymore like i can't yeah. i don't think i've seen any other band do it so that's cool it's a thing you have a thing you got a thing you got a thing you got to do the thing <laughs> so oh, another kind of interesting thing about your band was at a very young age you were well not signed to but you put out a record on fat records which is, yes. you know, Fat Mike of No Effects' label and a kind of like now at this point, a sort of a boutique kind of punk label has a, yeah. niche, a niche fan base and something that I was, you know, really into all those bands, you know, like over 20 years ago, I guess now. Uh, well, still I am, but was then too. And um, how did that all ha- actually kind of start? Because it's an interesting story of just some kids from Dundas, Ontario end up signing or putting out a record on this label at a young age. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of crazy. It was very, it was, it was, was, it's a testament to the idea that like, you never know what, at what efforts and what labors are going to bear what fruit, if any, you know, like it was Mm -hmm. just, you you never know what seeds are going to, that you're planting kind of what they're, how they're going to turn out. So we played this one show in December of 2013 where I had such bad food poisoning that I could like barely, barely stand. I was vomiting so much, but we had to play this show as burly calling played this show. I immediately like afterwards got, uh, whisked back to my house and like stayed in bed for like days because I was just so sick. They tried, they kicked me out of the venue because I puked in the bathroom. They thought I was drunk. Oh, yeah. Because I, yeah. I was so sick. Anyways, at that, I didn't want to play that show, but we played the show. And uh, at that show was a good guy named Patty Skinner who bought a stack of our seven inches, the fucking up young ones, and then was immediately flying because he's friends with Fat Mike to Fat Mike's house. And apparently, according to Mike, Patty had never shown a band to him and been like, yo, check out this band. And we were the first one he'd ever done. So he took our 7-inch, put it on his table, and listened to Fucking Up Young. And he said he listened to it a gajillion times over and over and over again. And then started tweeting how to find my phone number. And he got my phone number, and he called me while I was like <laughs> – wow. He called me while I was drunk at a bar. And I, I need to say that something that I've – I was not. I was. I never grew up on No Effects. It was. It was just not part of our universe. We were. It was that kind of. Uh, we were. We were really into like Pinkerton, Weezer kind of stuff. But in that, the No Effects thing never really permeated into Dundas. So I just okay. wasn't really. I wasn't. I wasn't aware of the music, but I was very much so aware of Mike. I knew about Mike because my window into music was more or less just much music on TV. So I remember like the punk show and him coming on and doing interviews and, you know, he's just, he's a guy, he's like Lemmy or something. He's just, he's a person he's bigger than his music. Um, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was like, you don't have to know any of his songs, but you'll still know who he is. Um, so that's kind of how I remember specifically when I was a kid that he had got into a, a bunch of like controversy on a previous warp tour for having beef with under oath. I distinctly yeah, remember that I was on, on that, that tour. Music. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you? I was there. Uh, and it was weird for me because I was like, no effects is one of my favorite bands ever. I watched them on stage every day. I knew Mike, we played poker every night. I wrote their set list sometimes and, but I'm really close friends with under oath too. So I would like, 
I'd be on stage for no effects, like them making fun of Under Oath, and then I'd go over and watch Under Oath, and I was like, this is weird. I'm friends with everybody, but I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, and you just kind of got to slink into it, the corner it, it, and just it was let it strange. play out. And then Under Oath yeah. left the tour, and oh, it was a whole thing. But so, anyways, Fat Mike calls you at a calls you uh, at a bar when you're drunk. Calls me at a bar when I, after I've had a couple, and he's like, "This is Fat Mike." I'm like, "Fuck off!" And I like hung up. <laughs> And uh, he called me back, and then we uh, we talked, and he's just like, yeah, I love your band, like, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, that's really cool. And we had a conversation, he's like, uh, and he wanted to put something out. And so we were like, hell yeah. And we, at the time, we were just kind of getting into wanting to do our first tour of the States. So it was kind of a really nice springboard for us. It was it was an added, like, promotional feature, of, like a, an entry point into it gave us an excuse, I guess you could say, uh, having an American label release uh, a few of our songs. So that was a great connection. And then uh, just and then since then, I mean, we've we've interact, we've we've kind of met up in a bunch of different places in funny ways. I love Mike. Uh, we've hung out a lot since then. Like we helped him set up his sex dungeon in L.A. once. <laughs> Great. Um, he needs, he's like, hey, can you, can, can you, are you guys busy for the next hour? Can you help us? So we're like, sure. So we did that, <laughs> and then. I mean, at Riot Fest in Chicago when we played a few a couple of years ago, he was there, so we hung out then. And then we played, we we hung out uh, when we played together in Austin, Texas, at South by one year. And uh, he came out and saw us in San Francisco a few months ago. And we were playing with Against Me. He just like I didn't know he was there. He fucking jumped on the stage while we were playing fucking up and grabbed the mic from me, which was always, always a hilarious thing. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, I love that guy. He's a very colorful human being. And yes. I love I love any opportunity that I get to see him, even even if we're just kind of passing ships in the night, you know? Sure. No, no, I know. I love that guy, too. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting, though. You start out with a seven inch record. You're uh, with a song that has an F word in it. Yeah. Uh, put out on a punk label. Mm-hmm. And then just a few short years later, you're winning a Juno, which is for the American listeners, which is a Canadian Grammy. Mm-hmm. You're winning a Juno for best new, whatever it is, best new artist, best new band, uh, breakthrough artist. I think it's the term they use yes. now. That had to be unexpected. That was not expected at all, especially, um, even to be nominated probably was unexpected. The nomination was, was, in and of itself, the greatest surprise yes. because, I mean, we just – when you grow up in Canada, uh, you know of the you, – you, no matter what you know of the Junos, it's just part of the cultural landscape here. Like your parents probably talk about it. It's in the newspaper whenever it happens. It's, it's a big deal in Canada. It's our music weekend. I remember watching it as a kid with of my course. family like of when course. it happened on that Sunday or whatever. So when it when – when we were recognized by that institution, it was like, it was a real, you know, it was, even if we were like, we felt like we didn't really even belong in that kind of category or felt like, Hey, this is hilarious. Like being breakthrough new artist, And we've been a band for 10 years. This is hilarious. But, um, <laughs> it was, uh, we were like, hell yeah. Like, this is great. Like my mom's pumped about it. So fuck. Yeah. Like, I mean, everybody get that was a that was a massive step for us um and it's, it's as i said it's it's you never know what's what little 
seeds are going to bear fruit and how they're going to do it. Um, yeah. and, and how it's the best, like last year we had some of the craziest, coolest surprises happen just because of, it just came completely out of the left field, like the Juno and, uh, the um getting to play with the who like yeah, yeah. all these things that you just never plan on that would have never imagined would happen to you and they just kind of happened but um i mean the juno thing was i had when i looked at our category and the other things people that we were up against i just didn't think that there was any way that we were gonna um i mean that in terms of when they pl- put it this way when they played our music when they played all the band's music uh before they read the winner and they were kind of announcing the category yeah, and all the nominees yeah. there was just like there was these very very kind of slick sounding recordings with uh you know really glossy production and, and then when they got to us it was this kind of like crash of feedback and everybody in the <laughs> banquet hall kind of like kind of like winced up their shoulders for a second and like it was like and it was our was it like when your parents heard Nirvana for uh, it was when you were exactly years old? like that? We all, <laughs> we all looked around and just like smiled, like this is fucking hilarious. And then when they announced that we had won, it was just it was a lightning bolt moment that uh, that uh, I feel very fortunate to uh, to have experienced. Uh, uh, it was words can't describe the uh, the the feeling of uh, of happiness for not like it, it wasn't in terms of like a retrospective of like, Oh, all the work that we've put in. I remember when we were 16 or it was nothing like that. It was more of like, I'm happy for our team and all of the people that have busted their asses working with us and working on our behalf. And like, you know, pulled late nights and had crazy phone calls and like these people who our management we're extremely close with. And we, 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 uh, when we started working with them, they dropped, they, they stopped, they, they kind of dropped their entire workload to work with us. Um, and they were working with quite a few notable artists. So, um, to, to, for those kinds of things and for their families to be rewarded that way, like that, that was the real feeling of, of happiness that I got that we, we had something to show for, uh, a, like a tangible, Totally. Uh, achievement even if it's in a category that i don't necessarily care too too much about like mm-hmm. I, right. I never it was never part of my goals to win a juno but no. you know for to have that official recognition from one of the more recognizable institutions in our country is obviously Absolutely. it's an honor it's an Absolutely. honor and like now your mom goes to the yoga class and she can tell you know people oh you know instead of saying exactly. instead of saying like oh my son's in a band and you're like oh god oh i'm sorry yeah exactly like, no, no they want a juno oh my god they want a juno yeah you know it's like the, the only thing better than that is is if you get played on the radio that parents love when they hear their their kids they're on, bands the, radio. on the radio yeah exactly they're on the radio exactly so but a boom but but a boom, um, uh, yeah, man. So uh, I guess with this new record coming out, September fourteenth, Master Volume, yes. John Goodmanson, who is a very notable producer out of Seattle, and you mentioned some of the bands like Blood Brothers, uh, Death Cab for Cutie, uh, you know. But one band that he did that I thought was interesting was is is a band I'm a big fan of called Cloud Nothings, mm-hmm. and they're. A similar kind of band to you guys, not in a lot of ways, but in the fact that they're a stripped-down kind of band. Uh, they have a lot of crazy kind of guitar parts. Was that any reason that you worked with him, or was it just a, a bunch of uh, factors? We worked with John because he was the one who kind of 
he mixed higher power and by mixed higher power i could maybe say that at by the time like it you know let me i, I gotta touch one more time on higher power but uh it was it was essentially it was a learning experience for all people involved and there was a lot of like our friends who kind of participated in the making of it but by the time we got it to mixing um john was the only person who uh who gave us back a test mix who who kind of made something that we're like fuck yeah this this actually sounds pretty good so right um he so he mixed it and he fixed it he mixed it and he fixed it. It was we kind of gave him a bit of a mess, to be honest with yeah. you. And he made a record out of it. And uh, I mean, we met with a several different producers uh, when we were getting all of this material together. And John, we had known as a trusted dude because of how easily the mixing of Higher Power had gone, but also just as a dude, we'd had lunch with him and hung out with him. And he had come out to the la- the final gig of the Warp Tour out okay. um, in Seattle. Yeah. So he came out to that show, and we had some cheese balls and talked to a, uh, uh, <laughs> some Uts cheese balls. Shout out to Uts. But um, he came on the bandwagon, and we talked about his uh, talked about mixing the record and that that's kind of when we decided to go with him like for higher power. So he was in our Rolodex and, um, he also, you know, I'm sure you can agree to like when you, when you're, sh- sh- uh, go- kind of looking at producers and you can only really gauge your decision off one or so conversations or lunches together. It's a gut feeling that you got to go with, right. Yeah. Of like who you're going to get along with the best and who you're going to be able to work with most effectively. And I mean, we met with some other really cool producers, but he was the he was the one that was was his goals seemed the most akin to ours and most um, compatible. Uh, and he's just such a great guy to work with, like such a great guy to hang with. He's got he's just a very mellow but very, very professional guy who we, we needed a veteran producer at this point in our career. We needed somebody to really, um, I mean, we had the arrangements more or less bought like pretty, pretty, uh, pretty fastened down, but we needed somebody to actually shape the sound because we had no idea what the fuck we were doing in that, uh, category. We wanted somebody to, because when you guys jam as a three piece, you only have, you know, one guitar. How do you make yeah. that guitar sound the way you want it to sound so that it sounds, you know, like it does when you guys are in a room, but also, I mean, you have to have it stereo. You have to have things doubled in places. You have to have all, all that stuff that, that is never easy to do as a three piece band. Exactly. You know, when you do a lead, and is there going to be a rhythm guitar or not? You know, like what do you decide there? Those yeah. kinds of things. And so, as I said, like majority of the of the man hours that our band puts in are in sitting around and arranging the song of like of making sure that it kicks ass live and that it's not dependent on like like okay, well, what whatever when we get to record it, we'll just do a rhythm track there and a lead over it, and like we'll figure out how we're going to do it live. We that's that's not how we organize our music. We we're very much so focused on how 
things will translate live and working within the three piece parameter. Um, so that's, that's, that's how we, that's what I think is, is definitely a big part of my creativity is how to make the most of those simple ingredients and, um, and how to get dynamics out of them and interesting compositions. And that's, so we, we throw around a lot of ideas when it comes to uh, I mean, I use some open tunings, yeah. and yeah. Um, I try. I try and stay away from from doing things where there's there's going to be a lead that leaves uh, the bass and bass just to deal with it by it, or yeah. the rhythm kind of by itself, unless. Um, Unless that's how it's designed, you yeah. know. So we yeah. don't really, we don't do a whole lot of like rhythm tracks on top of leads and stuff. Right. But John kind of like John was a great guy uh, to be like, okay, well, how about this though to like just kind of flesh it out a little bit more. And so the focus on this record, rather like as opposed to Higher Power, was to kind of surrender ourselves somewhat to the process and to somebody else who has a lot more knowledge than we do about how to make a good record. I think when we made Higher Power, there was a lot more of a dogmatic, no, fuck you, we know what we want kind of attitude in our camp. And this time we were like, John, whatever you think, let's just go with it. And then like sometimes be like, okay, we don't want to do that, let's do this. And he was like, cool. And so it was very much so. There was very few moments where we had any kind of disagreements. Oh, that's good. Wow, that's a good sign. Yeah, it's a very collaborative relationship. And in no ways was he a pushover or anything. He would tell you exactly what he thought. Yeah. But we were, I mean, we had done the, the, you know, 90% of the, of the work, 95% of the work yeah. of the arrangements by just working every day for a year on the songs and having stupid fights and like <laughs> finally reaching breakthroughs. And those like, you know, the battle was won and lost in the jam space already. We were, we were very much so ready to make the record. And John, John was there. It was awesome to have somebody who was, you know, very much so a fan of the band and in, into what we're doing but he hadn't been dragged through those hundred hours or whatever or more hundreds of yeah. hours of of like no i want to do a g7 motherfucker like he, <laughs> he had not been he was coming in with fresh ears and but and still an enthusiasm for the material and we needed that kind of fresh take on it totally. by that totally. point you know you're you're like you're you, you're sick of some of the songs even though you like them um right. yeah. by, by that point yeah. you've heard him too many goddamn times so it was great hearing them through fresh ears and just kind of a very laid back but uh enthusiastic producer it was it was a perfect environment absolutely well there's you've been a there's been a bunch of songs uh from the record that have been released and i want to talk about one in particular it's called i don't want that phone call which is very it's a very intense song especially i don't know if you heard about the singer for we came as romans who just died of a drug overdose at age 28 uh literally literally just the other week i was i attended his funeral and uh the podcast owner of the network mike mowry who runs this podcast network he used to manage the band and stuff so it's been uh very heavy uh around here uh with that talk to me about this song i mean literally you say something about drugs and alcohol at 28, you know, is this, is this about you? Is this about someone, you know, what is this about? This is about, this is about, I would say, uh, somebody, if, if I'm being, if I'm being particular, this is about somebody that I know 
who I grew up with, who was one of my best friends, who was probably, I would consider like, uh, one of my best friends along with Kyle, but like a, a different kind of friend who, um, was a lot smarter than anybody else I knew who was extremely ambitious, um, extremely motivated and, uh, and inquisitive and curious was constantly like blowing my mind with pieces of information and, uh, was just uh, extremely, I could, you know, I could rail on forever about how influential this person was on my life. Um, when we got to our late teens, early twenties and you're fucking around a lot, just like, you know, drinking and, and enjoying freedom from your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, he began to go down a path that I, uh, that I could immediately see was, was, was trouble. And, uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him in years and I've just kind of heard tidbits of what's going on and it's, you know, it's been a bit disturbing and, uh, sad because, you know, it's, it's hard, it's difficult accepting that like relationships change and people yeah. kind of come in and especially out of your life, even if you want them to stay in your life, it, things change. And, uh, I mean, I've definitely, that subject has been definitely, and, uh, him in particular has been quite a, uh, almost a, a very kind of a dark, but compelling, uh, 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 inspiration or muse for some of the things that I've written about in particular, I think, um, I'm not, I, I, I feel sometimes I feel a little bit, of uh, potential guilt, uh, shining some light on somebody who's got some problems, but I don't feel that that's what I'm actually doing. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, uh, intellectualize and um just deal with and process my anger and frustration with the fact that my friend's destroying themselves you know yeah so it's not i'm not in any way pointing out their identity or trying to make them look embarrass them in any way of course that would be the last thing i want to do but my you can't i'm sure you can kind of uh empathize it's hard to choose about what you're gonna choose what you're gonna write about you just kind of do you know you yeah. just kind of like you kind of got to go with whatever whatever's making you feel a certain way and i mean i um that song happened really really fast right at the end of everything i had the writ that kind of like riff kind of bouncing around mm-hmm. And, uh, the last few songs of a crop are always my favorite songs. Like when you're kind of, yeah, when you're, you when, when things are roll, you know, it's always the hardest getting the first few together. Once you get the first few together and you got some like, okay, we got this one in the bank and this one in the bank, the pressure starts kind of like easing off and then you, you, you get the momentum and you're all working together. Great. The last few are usually the, some of the finest. So that was one of my favorite ones for sure of the record totally. at the very end. And, but I mean, those are, those are the, the personal, my personal connection to those, to the song itself. But my, my general kind of hope for it is, is that people can extrapolate and apply some of the things to their own lives in a, in a, in a cautionary sense. Yeah. Like I think that absolutely my, man. one of my kind of touchstones and, and, and mantras of this entire album cycle is, is, I mean, uh, I, I just turned 28 and my, my, if I have any kind of platform to speak to kids that are younger than me, I would just say that like, be careful with the, 
things in life that can kill you. And like, I'm not saying to not have fun and enjoy yourself. And, um, but if, if you are at all, if I'm at all in a position to offer you any advice and you want to hear it, I would just say, just be careful with your, with your body and your brain, because, you know, at this point I've obviously, you know, being a touring musician for the, for all of my twenties at this point, I have seen the casualties of, of things that appeared very kind of glossy and, and attractive when you're about 19 or 20, like excess doesn't start to really rear its ugly face yet. But yeah. towards the, your late twenties, you can kind of see uh, the ramifications of certain behaviors and habits. And um, that's, I, I would, I, I, w- I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm very much so interested in trying to affect uh, younger people in a positive way if yeah. I have an ability to do so. Absolutely. And yes, and this is a fucking epidemic. It's, it's, it's really not great. But I do ask you that. I mean, this is your second album, you know, your second full-length album. And it's the first time you've written knowing that a lot of people are going to hear this. Does yes. it change? Like, you know, you're talking about younger people and... and sort of I don't want to say being a role model but but you're you're conscious of the fact that people are listening does that change the way that you write at all I don't think so I think that like I think that it's funny I think that this album can't kind of came up came together in the perfect kind of environment which is isolated somewhat from the rest of the world in the jam space with the boys you know rather than like we're still slugging it out in the clubs when we're making it and 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 you know um getting together like a band and putting the time in so there wasn't even though that was in the back of my mind that because as we were making these songs the career our our profile started to rise more and more and more yeah. but it was still very much so that that same kind of like jamming in the dirty basement, like kind of arguing about or discussing, I should say, what what the next chord changes or whether this part should be quiet or loud. Or so it it was kind of born in the same circumstances as before, and that the bone like that that kind of thing that a lot more people are probably going to hear this record than heard the last record. Uh, That feeling was more of just like a motivator in my mind to just to make sure that the arrangements were tighter. But I, I can't help, but as I said, like when being at this age in my late twenties and, and, and having toured and seeing the way that kids have responded to our, our, our band, especially that last tour with against me, like seeing uh, these kids in Texas who I never thought would ever have heard of our band, these kids who please play this song. I need this song. I drove three <laughs> hours. Like right, that, right. that can't like, that's, that's something that um, having that, uh, having that kind of, of, of uh, impact on somebody's life uh, who lives so far mm-hmm. away, um, it was just a motivating factor, I think, to just do a really good job on making our next album. Love and it. Uh, but I think that uh, I think that the whole thing about about like I, I kind of viewed like higher power as like a as an album talking more about in a lot of like about mm-hmm. and in kind of going and exploring America. It's a lot of it's kind of that. 
but this one is more of a i think a, a record born out of out of experience and and experiencing things and seeing some shit happen yeah. and reflecting on that so i mean um as i said like i don't want to be someone staying there wagging their finger at people trying to tell them what to do but i would uh i would i would i would come and to gently uh implore the youth <laughs> of uh of the world to uh to be careful with your old brain there because you there only you get go. one of them you only get one brain yes you only some, get people, one. some people have half a brain though so, exactly. So if exactly. you have half you got, brain, you get one max. careful. There you go. Exactly. All right, man. Dude, well, thank you so much. I don't really have anything else to ask you. You covered it all, I think. Uh, there's a tour coming up. Uh, you're doing a headliner. Let Indeed. The pe- let the people know about that. So we are he- we are, we're going to Europe in late September, uh, England and Germany. Beautiful. Um, I don't have the dates in front of me right now, but then in the – Mid-October till – from mid-October till December 1st, we are touring the United States and Canada. Um, All dates available on Instagram or Facebook um, as well as we've got a new website, thedirtynail.com. And uh, we're bringing out our friends from Vancouver called Dead Soft, who are a fantastic band. I I, I really, really love their band. We, We played with them a couple of years ago. Um, they are, I would say, very much so cut from the same cloth as us uh, musically. Uh, a, a heavy kind of power pop uh, vibe, but but big crushing poppy choruses. Awesome. They're an excellent band. I'm very excited to bring them out. And uh, this is our first headlining tour in about two years, really, like our first big one. So I, I, I just cannot, I couldn't be more excited to get on the road and do a big, big show for the children of the world. You, you know go. what I'm saying? I love it, man. Dude, thank you. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, when this airs, the record will be out. So it is out now. Beautiful. The record is out now, people. Go go pick it up. Excellent. Go listen to Master it. Master volume. Master volume. Uh, now, I always play music at the end of the show. What song from this record would you like the people to hear? I'll let you pick one. That's a good question. I would say let's go with, uh, I don't want that phone call. Let's do that. All right. One. It's, it's uh, an important song and uh, I'll send it out to uh, Kyle Pavone. Rest in peace, brother. And thank you, Luke. Uh, all the best, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much, Shane. Always, always a pleasure.
is new music from the Dirty Nil, a great tune and an important message. And the Dirty Nil are here with a tremendous, tremendous second album. I didn't know if they could top the first, to be honest. And I don't, I didn't want to bring up the whole sophomore slump thing because this is not a sophomore slump. This record is a banger. So check it out. It is available now. You can buy vinyl. You can get it on all the streaming services. However you choose, it is out there. So check it out. I want to thank Luke and everybody in the Dirty Nil just for being great people, a great band, and for taking the time to speak with me. And thank you for listening to this thing. Uh, Next week, we'll be back again, as always, with another brand new episode. So yes, make sure you're subscribed. Hit that subscribe button. And if you like the show, check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. And you know what? Just tell a friend, tell a loved one, anybody you think that's interested in hearing two lead singers talk about what it's like and talk about music and get everything out there that you just don't get in a standard interview. And that's why I started this thing. Let them know to check out this podcast. All right, I know it's running long, but I don't care. We got to play one more song. Here's a classic Dirty Nil song to leave you with. An oldie but a goodie. Here is Fucking Up Young on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love, and we'll see you next time.